Hi everyone, thank you for joining me on Fuel Radio. My guest today is Daniel Whitehead. Daniel is the CEO of Sanctuary Mental Health. Daniel is a Regent College graduate and ordained minister with over 10 years of full-time vocational church ministry experience in the UK. He's traveled extensively overseas, working on various humanitarian projects, and is a certified mediator with London School of Mediation. Dan studied the role of majority world theological perspectives in shaping a theology of mental health in his Masters of Theology research. During this interview, you'll hear us talk about an event that's coming up on October 28th, where Daniel's going to be the keynote speaker for Telecare BC. Now, please help me welcome Daniel Whitehead. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and thank you for joining me, Daniel. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. We won't give you the backstory, but we're here. <laughs> yeah, present. I'm, I'm definitely here. I'm in the in the room. Great. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you. I will give a bit of a background to this conversation and that and that way promote something that's coming up. And that is one of the organizations that I work for is called Telecare. And we're doing an event on October 28th. And Daniel's going to be our keynote speaker. But I thought it'd be great to um, talk to him ahead of time and uh, also just get to know him a little bit better. And he, he agreed to have this conversation today. So here we are. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Rod. It's great to see you again. And good to see you too. I'm wondering if we could just start with a bit of your own origin story. How did you end up at uh, Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries? And then we'll dive into a little bit about and talk about what uh, Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries is. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, happy to. So I, I'm originally from the UK, um, from the south of England on the south coast, very near to the city of Portsmouth. I used to lead a, a church there called Ferrum Community Church. And I was senior pastor there for eight years. And towards the end of my time there, or probably even a couple of years before I officially left, I was experiencing, I guess, probably the early signs of burnout. But I didn't have any framework or understanding of what that really meant. But the only way I can describe it is I was emotionally deadened the, the, you know the, the emotional capacity I once had or felt I naturally had was lacking and and eventually by hook or by crook mainly by God's grace uh, I was able to take an extended sabbatical and I, I decided my wife and I decided with our then two-year-old daughter to come to Vancouver for me to do some study at Regent College just some graduate study so I came to Regent College, and as is often the story, you come for a year, stay for a lifetime. So we, we did come for a year. We actually did go back to England for six months, but we kind of sold up everything. We didn't have a lot, but we sold up what we had because we felt God wanted us to finish what we'd started in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And um, we're still waiting to know when that when that finishes. But for now, we're, we're delighted yeah. to be here. And yeah. my... One year diploma turned into a master's, which I graduated in 2017. I started leading Sanctuary in the summer of 2016. So I've been there five years. Sanctuary um, was already in existence. Yeah. So Sanctuary yeah. was a, about five years old when I took it over. Yeah. 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 And uh, it's funny because people ask, how did I come to Sanctuary? I was, I was just discerning and looking for, I mean, I say a, a, 
a job but i was looking for a vocation and a purpose and i was looking yeah. seeking god for the future and the first person i met at a networking event which was kind of miraculous because the day before i said to my wife the day before i found out about the networking event i said to my wife my plan is i'm going to network vancouver i'm going to who do i need to meet and the next day i got an invite from a friend for a networking event which i'm like oh that seems uh uh, pretty good timing so I went along and the first person I met at that event was a lady who told me about this sanctuary job and she said I've just got a feeling just got a feeling <laughs> this would be a good fit for you and yeah. I'd never heard of sanctuary I didn't know anything about it I didn't even know that non-profit was a, a proper job or vocation because I'm, <laughs> I'm from, maybe it isn't but no I, <laughs> I was from I was from small town England and I didn't know anyone that worked for a non-profit and actually Mm. actually earn enough money to live you know yeah. so anyway I'm laughing yeah, I, because i i can relate to that <laughs> yeah I've, yeah i've yeah. had several a couple jobs with nonprofits. so <laughs> sure yeah sure yeah so i applied i applied back in 2016 it was a pretty lengthy process had about five interviews but yeah. by the summer of 2016 the the then board which is pretty different that to today they they appointed me as sanctuary's executive director I, I changed my job role to ceo about a year and a half ago when sanctuary's work grew to a scale that we felt that that was warranted but okay. yeah i was i was the second second director of sanctuary during that time let's just go back a little bit like during that time at regent you you came there you were burnt out and if you don't mind talking about it like was mm. that sort of did some restoration for lack of a better term happen during mm. that time or what just did you have what was your own recovery from burnout like yeah yeah no that's a great question I mean I think it's still ongoing to be honest occasionally mm -hmm. there are moments where it rears it rears its head I, I think God uses it redemptively it's not something that incapacitates me but every now and again I'm caught by my own uh, new awareness of my own challenges or or you know uh, things I need to process but no Regent was a real gift and, and probably the main reason it was a real gift was when it feels like you're for me my experiences of of that that kind of burnout mental health languishing that struggle that I had which to be honest Rod scarily I don't think is is that uncommon I think many people live perpetually in this way and and but it's hard to, I mean it, how do you do that when you because you feel trapped so it's, mm -hmm. it, it feels like you're in a little fishbowl yeah. and and you're stuck and then coming away like physically coming away crossing an ocean mm -hmm. and going into a space like regent which for me was like it was such a gift like i get to sit down and listen and talk to people about things that i don't really normally have the opportunity to talk about and i get to mm -hmm genuine you know genuinely grow and i get to decide what i study and that was just an incredible gift and i think i was pretty reserved in my first year and then i started working for sanctuary during my second year so it wasn't like i could i engaged as much as i could but i engaged in a way that was really life-giving just meeting mm -hmm. people from different places and different experiences and and actually that i, I finished my master's in 2017 and then i actually I've just finished another master's. I did my THM and graduated just a couple of months ago. And I did that part-time while I worked because there were still things I wanted to explore and study. So graduate studies has been an incredible gift and very much part of my recovery. And mm -hmm. I feel incredibly uh, grateful and, and humbled that I, I, I've been able to do that. Yeah, it's been amazing. 
I haven't done it myself. I've been close to taking even just some summer courses at Regent and stuff like that, but yeah. I've never, I've never done it. But I would imagine it's a pretty cool environment, like you say, because you're talking to some people that have some life experience, and, but at the same time, you're able to have some incredible discussions on topics that you probably have just longed to go deeper on. And yeah. you're, I, I know at Regent, they have some, some of the most brilliant people in the world there. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that's it. You, yeah. You've got, you know, world leading scholars and, yeah. and listen, with the greatest respect to those scholars whom I hugely admire, and many of them are my friends, scholars yeah. don't know everything about everything. And, they, sure. and, the, <laughs> and the scholarly perspective is not the only perspective to listen to when it comes to experiences of the church. However, right. from my tradition and my background, we didn't mm -hmm. listen enough to scholars. So I'd had a lot of the rest and I was very grateful for this complete perspective shift that I got mm -hmm. to engage in that way. And I feel like the, the process of post-Regent study is about readdressing that balance between, you know, framing our theology. I, I would be class myself as a practical theologian, as a, as a philosophical theologian in, in the right sense of of that it's it's about how does this land and what is it how does this impact our lives every day i'm not interested in keeping god in an ivory tower where we can you know marvel at these wonderful doctrines i love doctrine but mm -hmm. i'm more interested in what that looks like in 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 with hands and feet on it which obviously we see in the ministry of jesus and i'm kind of interested in the ministry of jesus too i've always been a yeah. practical I think more practical theologian and, and even just going to university after a while, it kind of drove me nuts. Like <laughs> just all this theory and not, not a whole lot of, of practice. So yeah, I was happy to get out of there and start working <laughs> kind of yeah. in the real world. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I'm from, I'm from the, the church I used to lead is part of the sort of charismatic new church. And, and, mm -hmm. and one of my, I, I would still class myself as a sort of a charismatic Christian, but I'd probably put myself at the conservative end because I, I choose to live myself, uh, live my life in a way that's pretty centrist. And I think I'm too conservative for liberals and I'm too liberal for, for conservatives. And it's an intentional <laughs> position. I, I just, I, I, I don't like labeling myself that way. I'm doing that in mm -hmm. a playful way. Generally, I'd say I'm, I'm like, like all of us, I'm trying to follow Christ and I'm trying to um, live out the values of his kingdom which cannot be pinned down by accreditations or scholars or, or charismatic new church. But my experience of the charismatic new church often was that we would, it's a Britishism, but we'd proverbially throw the baby out with the bathwater. We would, we would, you know, denounce scholarly work. And, and of course, that's kind of a funny thing to do because we all benefit from the work of scholars. Like if you're reading the Bible in English, you've benefited from lots of scholars working very hard to get it into English. So we need the scholarly, but we don't want to lose sight, as you're saying, of the, yeah, of, of, we want to make sure our scholarly thinking and work has hands and feet. Otherwise, what's the point? So um, yeah, yeah, still trying to work that one out and, and do that, but it's been a real <laughs> gift. So looking at sanctuary, I just want to read the statement here that's on your mission page, because I think this will help people understand what you do. It says, sanctuary resources prepare communities of faith around the world to raise awareness, reduce stigma, support mental health, and promote well-being. Hmm. So maybe you could just introduce us to uh, sanctuary and and what you do. And, and what's really cool here is that it's very, it's 
it sounds pretty close to, I, I can see a real partnership here or whatever with telecare that we talked about mm. uh, off the top. Cause you know, telecare is a crisis line and, and, and help and supporting and helping people who deal with mental health issues all the time. So anyways, yeah, just introduce us to Sanctuary. Yeah, so Sanctuary is uh, about 10 years old. It was founded in Vancouver and our founding director, it was actually founded by two women who are both now in ministry, the Reverend Dr. Sharon, uh, Sharon Smith, Reverend Dr. Sharon Smith, who is my predecessor. She was the founding director and the Reverend Carolyn Penhale. They now both are in full-time vocational pastoral ministry. Sharon's background is really interesting. She's a, a priest in North Vancouver, but her background is fascinating because Sharon was an occupational therapist. I think she was an occupational ther- therapist for about 20 years. And then she came to Regent and did a master's. She then, I think, did another master's at BST later on, got ordained in the Anglican Church. She also did a PhD at UBC, and her research focused on the intersection of schizophrenia and spirituality. So she wow. kind of has this clinical theological church research thing going on mm-hmm. and another big part of Sharon's story is that approximately 12 years ago her husband Alex who was also a regent grad he died by suicide oh wow so Sharon brings also the lived experience piece to bear and I think mm-hmm. if you if you bring that clinical theological church research lived experience if you bring those lenses together you find a different way of holding the subject. And so it was Sharon's ministry. And she's an amazing person, just an incredible human being that kind of birthed sanctuary with the help of Carolyn Penhale, who uh, both of them were chaplains at Vancouver Coastal Health at the time. And, And their work with churches found that basically across the board, churches were saying, we need help to know how to handle this mental health stuff we just we're not quite sure what to do with it it's a scary subject it's a subject we feel unprepared for and it's a subject that is so prescient and and like pressing it's right here and it's on our doorstep we weren't prepared for this in in seminary we you know no one's talked to us about this so sanctuary was born as a local nonprofit that started delivering in-person workshops seminars and sermons to churches in and around the lower mainland and increasingly when i joined Sanctuary is beginning to get requests from further afield across Canada. And so the board hired me with a vision to scaling Sanctuary, making it a national organization. And in my interview, I said to them, no, if we can take it nationally, my feeling is why wouldn't we take it internationally? Because if you haven't noticed, Canada is a pretty big place. So if you can serve churches in Toronto or Halifax or, you know, yellow knife if you can if you can do that then you can do that in london or melbourne so that's what we've done we've really taken sanctuary's amazing work that we learned through the first five years what are the kind of messages that churches need to engage with what are the helpful core messages that churches really respond well to in order to build a framework and a language and a way of holding this subject And what we did in 2018 was we packaged that into like a mental health alpha, just an eight session plug and play course that anyone anywhere can use. So in October 2018, we launched that course as a small local organization with like three part time staff and a few volunteers. And what we find today, less than three years later, is that we're an international organization. We've had downloads in 55 countries. 
We have a charity in the UK. We're setting up a charity in the US. We have nearly 20 staff and, and, and the work and the people we're getting to talk with and the levels of influence we're getting to have is just growing very quickly. And I mean, I, I've seen a huge shift in the mental health conversation in the church in my five years here. I've mm -hmm. seen a very definite shift mm -hmm. and COVID, the COVID pandemic has only sped that up. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. tragically, it feels like we were made for this time. I, I wish, I wished we weren't, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, we for such a time as this, I think Sanctuary's work exists. Cool. Just putting on my marketing hat, I'm always thinking, you know, what, what's the problem that you are addressing? So, and how big mm -hmm. is the problem? So yeah. maybe you could expound on that a little bit, like what exactly, how deep, how big is the problem and how are you addressing it? Mm, that's great. Well, there's a few ways I can interpret that question, but mm -hmm. the first way I'd interpret it is how big is the problem? Well, this is all the research and all my own experience, and, and, and I'm sure yours too, says that mental health is, it probably is one of the biggest sources of pain at the moment for people in the world in terms mm -hmm. of understanding you know, the official stats would say one in four people in the next year will have a mental health crisis, although that's pre-COVID research. And that suggests that only one in four people are able to acknowledge or willing to acknowledge that they're experiencing a challenge. So and like um, depression levels are at an all time high and that yeah. kind of thing, too. Yeah. 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 And they, there is research that exists. They've done in Canada during mm -hmm. COVID that demonstrates that literally yeah times for anxiety during covid and yeah you know the, the, the yeah it's pretty startling to see the 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 big big increases so yeah. it's a major problem a major problem for everyone and faith communities are not immune to that if anything sure. some local local research which was never published demonstrated that you're slightly more likely to be suffering from a mental health challenge if you are part of a church they're not, which is a, a funny way of putting it. But I say that half facetiously. I mean, I stand by that study, yeah. but I think it, it could be that for two reasons. It, well, it could be for many reasons, but two I can think of is that number one, people turn to the church at a point of crisis and look for mm -hmm. help, which I think is true. And, sure. that's, and that's the way it should be. Um, yeah, right. and the other is that sometimes churches uh, are not well prepared to support people's mental health mm -hmm. because of various unhelpful ways of framing it. And some of those ways aren't obvious to churches. Mm -hmm. it's, it's well-meaning people, but mm -hmm. very often like the churches that seem to be doing well in this subject, many of them would have what I would class as an overly medicalized vision of a person. They would, they would have a, a view that says, oh, you're experiencing a mental health problem. See a doctor, which is really good. And that's the first step I would suggest anyone does. See a doctor. Mm -hmm. um get diagnosed and then go through the medical system to get your problems fixed and and then you can integrate and and okay. that's where that it seems good on the surface which isn't to say that people shouldn't get medical help that they shouldn't have clinical support that they mm -hmm. shouldn't see a therapist we believe in all those things mm -hmm. but if a church even without knowing it or inadvertently communicates that necessary process in a way of absolving their responsibility from offering support, then I think we have a problem because right. the church has so much to offer people in right. the midst of their recovery. In the midst and can of, be part of a holistic approach, right? 
Yeah, it's yeah. The, the church's role, in my opinion, is just as important as the role of doctors and therapists. And I believe their roles are incredibly important. I, I'm really saying the church is being called up to something more, which which can feel funny for for if depending on your faith tradition. Some churches get nervous because they go, oh, well, you you're letting the doctors and, and these people in. And what if they lead people astray? And I'm going, no, 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 we, we I'm not calling you down, I'm calling you up. I'm saying mm -hmm. People need that support, but they also need people who will offer prayer and encouragement and friendship and, mm -hmm. and just to not stigmatize or judge people or think, tell them there's something wrong with their faith, whether yeah. implicitly or explicitly, but to just be that faithful presence, that Jesus presence that walks with people and says, your pain and your situation and your diagnosis doesn't scare me. And it mm. doesn't, it doesn't cause me to diminish your innate value and worth as a human being made in God's image. But that is a powerful message that the church is primed and ready to tell the world. And I think that's why I'm so enthusiastic about the opportunity that the church has in the world to be that prophetic voice of hope to all people, whether they're people suffering in their congregations or people in their communities, we need to equip the church with a framework and a language to understand and to know what to say and what not to say and and uh, to destigmatize and that's where the sanctuary course comes in really mm -hmm. so yeah i mean we know kind of what doctors can do they can prescribe medicine they people can go to therapy all of that kind of stuff what are you telling churches to or how, what are you training churches to do so the, the sanctuary course is a great resource that 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 walks churches through a kind of, it builds a conversation. It starts a conversation around how do we hold this subject? So it talks about mental health, mental illness, uh, stigma, the recovery journey, the role of community, self-care. How do we theologically frame self-care? And each mm. of these subjects is looked at from a clinical perspective. Like what does the science tell us is going on? It looks at it from a social perspective. What are the messages we're hearing in society that is telling us what's going on? And then it looks at each from a theological perspective. Like how can we look to the scriptures and our faith tradition, um, the teachings of Christ to help us understand what's going on for this person and what can our response be? So I think what the sanctuary course really does in its essence, as well as endorsing the need for holistic care and support, is it equips a congregation to not feel scared of this converse, of this subject. And it mm. equips a conversation with the framework, like the, okay, I understand what this thing is now. And, and it gives the language uh, because much of our language, you know, one of our ambassadors is a, a world-renowned practical theologian, Professor John Swinton. And he talks about how our language creates realities. And, and that subject alone in the context of mental health is so important because to give you a few examples our language is so stigmatized and we don't even know if you think about how we will refer to people as a diagnosis oh he's bipolar mm -hmm. and you think about just in that in in those you know in those two words he's bipolar you you're effectively removing a person's image bearing status you're not you don't mean to do it but you're essentially identifying them as a problem to be fixed because of all the baggage that comes in our culture. And I would suggest someone who's experiencing bipolar disorder is so, is so not a problem to be fixed. It's a, this is a person to be understood and supported. And, and there is so much we can learn from people's experiences in the midst of bipolar disorder among many others. So I think there's one example there, like 
helping churches to reframe and think theologically about the language they use. Mm -hmm. Another example would be in the example of, of suicide, where, again, culturally, it's perfectly fine for people to talk about, oh, so-and-so committed suicide. And language is so interesting because you think, what, what do we, where do we use that language, committed, committed? Generally, someone committed a crime or someone, you know? So mm -hmm. again, this language becomes stigmatized and subconsciously we are attributing unhelpful things to certain human experiences that are not theologically grounded, but they're actually causing pain and they're causing people's pain to be further compounded for, for loved ones who supported someone who, let's say if they, they died by suicide, they would have seen that, yeah, and research shows from people who, who survived suicide attempts that really the subject of suicide is more about the, the exhaustion that person was experiencing, the exhaustion of living and, and, and in trying to find peace in that moment of desperation and that moment of struggle, they felt that was the only thing they could do. Now, suicide is a difficult subject, but again, it's an example of how the church needs to be equipped to know how to talk about this subject and to take the fear out of it. Because, you know, I have a friend who was a pastor in the UK and he was experiencing suicidal ideation. He'd had, he'd had the thought of taking his own life. And when he confessed this to one of the elders, the elders said, well, welcome to pastoral ministry as if just diminishing. And I, and I go, and I know the person who said that, and they're a good person, they mean well. But I go, we have a big problem if we think the calling of a pastor requires us to have feelings of suicidal thoughts, that we have a big problem with how we're doing this. So I think there's another specific example, but there are many examples how we need to talk about this subject to learn how to talk about it, how not to talk about it, how to frame it, and to understand what the role of the church is and what the role of the church isn't. And if you build that framework, I think that's the starting point from which churches can actually build a ministry, a mental health ministry, which is innate in everything the church does. It's just part of, this is part of how we understand people and this is part of how we offer support. I'm having so many thoughts <laughs> and memories. One of them has to do with when I was working in, in the downtown east side and our CEO at the time wrote an article about dropping labels and how labels stigmatize. And, yeah. and I love what you're saying about seeking, you know, kind of seek first to understand, right. It's uh, understand people, but give us some idea, like how do, what does, what, what, what might a framework look like? Yeah. Like what are you encouraging churches to do? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think, um, one really key thing that one of our sessions picks up on is what we call the mental health continuum, which is really this idea, this way of framing the subject as very often in our heads, we have this idea that really there's just a line and at one end is mental illness and at one end is mental health. And where you fall on that line, I don't know, it depends on your tradition and your background and your level of education or your willingness to learn about this subject. But generally people would go, some people would say, well, uh, it's just the luck of the draw, whether you have mental illness or not. Some people, some people would say, you know, there are some churches and faith traditions that would say this is all about spiritual oppression. Some would say this is all about medical stuff. We would say it's about so many different things. And we're not really qualified to say, particularly as a lay person, as a friend, you're not really qualified to tell people why they're experiencing this. But Daniel, do you think it's helpful to realize that we all end up we're all on that line somewhere as well well uh, that's the key thing the key yeah. thing is that 
I would su- we would suggest is not a single line. We would say mm-hmm. it's more dynamic than that. And that sure. actually you can experience a mental health challenge mm-hmm. and not have a mental illness. And sure. similarly, sure. you can have a diagnosed mental illness and have really good mental health. And the sanctuary mm-hmm. course frames this for us. And the key point, as you've just said, is that every human being who's ever lived and ever will live and who's alive today is somewhere on that continuum. On the continuum, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and on that continuum, we're not static. We move up and down it and around it, depending on what's going on in life. And so, you know, all of us have at some point experienced what we would call mental health languishing or mental health surviving, uh, this idea of our mental health struggling. All of us have experienced that, even if it's just for a moment. Like, imagine that moment when you pranged your car, you know, and that your heart sinks. And in that moment, you're flooded with certain you know, a bodily reaction, which is causing you to feel, you know, worried or anxious, or that time you got a phone call from someone and they, they said something bad's happened to someone you love. And that in that moment, we, we languish. Now, we hope and trust that for many of us, our, our, our mental health will eventually get back to a place of flourishing or, or thriving, not just surviving. Um, and for most people, or I don't know whether most, but for many people, that's what happens over a period of time, the process of grieving or, or just because you get back into your rhythms and you adjust your expectations, life is okay. You get the car fixed, the insurance is dealt with, you move on. Some people, for whatever reason, I would suggest for a host of reasons, for a host of holistic reasons, don't are unable to bounce back as quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and often that's an indicator of a mental health challenge, which doesn't mean they have a mental illness. Right. But, but, you know, so the point is we move around, it's dynamic. It's not yeah. one line. It's, a, it's And you'd have to do the course to f- see how we frame it. We frame it in a really simple way. It's helpful. But the point is it's it's way more dynamic than that. And, and we can move around it in mm-hmm. our lifetimes, in our days, in our weeks, in our seasons. And I have never met a human being that ever planned on having a mental health crisis. I've mm-hmm. never met someone who thought, oh, do you know what? When I turn 45, I'm going to have a mental health crisis and get diagnosed with, you know, bipolar disorder or Mm -hmm. or depression or general anxiety disorder. No one plans on that. So really, as an organization, we're trying to raise awareness to let people know, hey, you're all on here and we need to be prepared and ready to know how to support others and how to support ourselves as and when and if something like this happens. Yeah. It's it's making me think of a story. It was when I was working on the downtown east side and I was I was coming out of the office and going, we had different locations and I was coming out of the office and a guy was coming down the street towards me. And he was, it was like, not, it was first thing in the morning. I probably just gotten to work. It was like between nine and 10 AM. And this guy was just so drunk. And I felt like God, the spirit, the universe, whatever said to me, you're just like him. And I kind of thought, what in the world, like, yeah. you know, what in the world then? And, and it quickly dawned on me, like my, my life, it was a God moment because I felt like my life sort of passed before my eyes. And it was like, yeah, I, I, maybe not like you say, I'm the, you know, mentally ill at the moment, but I have had my moments. So that was one thing. Mm. And I still have my things, you know, like addicted to whatever coffee, faith, you know, it comes and goes, but Facebook, social media, whatever. I have my things too. I just happened. I just, happened to not be drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. And I haven't gone through, maybe I haven't experienced the trauma that this particular person has experienced and 
And that has maybe led to where he is today or whatever. But it was quite a moment. Like it helped me to relate and have compassion and not be judgmental and yeah. all of those things to realize that, like you say, I'm somewhere in that continuum too. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's an amazing point you raised there because uh, uh, a couple of years ago, I was speaking at an event somewhere east and the past was driving me to the airport so I could come back to Vancouver. And we stopped at the lights and I'd done like three days of workshops with a group of leaders around mental health and faith. And this homeless guy walks in, well, we assume was homeless. He, he possibly was. Walked past the car and he was asking for money. And I turned to this young pastor next to me and I said, do you know what the only difference between that guy and me is? Mm -hmm. And he, he thought it was like a trick, possibly a trick question. I said, I'm convinced the only thing that's different between us is relationships. Because if I got to a place that he has got to, I would have enough people around me to offer me the support I need for me to get well again. Mm -hmm. and, and that comes down to my socioeconomic background, my ability to relate to others and influence and connect with others. You know, I have enough family and friends that would ensure that I and my family didn't end up on the streets and, and mm. because they love me and they care for me. Now, why does this guy not have that? I don't know, but I definitely, you know, that realization that I had a few years before that relationships are so central to who we are. They're the fundamental way I would frame our personhood is that we are relational beings made in the image of a relational God made for relationships out of the fruit of a relationship that, that relationships are central to our sense of well-being, to our, to our value. And yet we live in a culture that wants to turn our value to what we can produce and what we can do and how we can perform, which mm -hmm. ultimately means that our culture values health and wealth over anything else. If you're healthy and wealthy, you're succeeding. And yet I would suggest biblically, that is not what we see. What, what mm -hmm. we see is how connected are we relationally? And, and when we think about that relational connection, we're talking about God, relationship to God. We're talking about a relationship to others. We're talking about our relationship to self. And, mm -hmm. and our relationship to the creation that God's placed us in. So um, having a relational framework for self is a really important piece. It doesn't feature in the sanctuary course, but this is something I spend my life talking about, reminding mm -hmm. people that you are a relational being made for relationships and, and to make sure we're connected, whether you have a mental illness or not, but to make sure you're relationally connected and plugged in to others around you is just vital. It's just so important. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I know that's something that you're really passionate about right now is talking about that kind of thing. I got, I have another story that I think you'll appreciate. And that's my friend, Jenny Conkin. She has an organization called Hallway House. Do you know Jenny? I think I've met her once before. Yeah. Yeah. She's quite a, quite a cool individual, yeah. <laughs> amazing human. And so she, her parents owned one of these single occupancy hotels in, in Vancouver and someone, I'll try to keep the story short. Someone passed away in the building and no one found this person for like two weeks. And mm. she just got fed up and just said, that's not going to happen again. So she started a coffee night. She started a games night. Oh, coffee. No, she did started offering coffee and a little bit of food in the morning and um, basically got people out of their rooms mm. and, and created community. And the stories were amazing just with a little bit of, mm. just, with, just by creating a little bit of community. One, one of the, one of my favorite stories was, this gal shows up one day looking for this particular guy and Jenny knows who this guy is. And she says, by the way, who are you? And she said, well, I'm his bartender and he hasn't been showing up at the bar. Mm. 
and just he was a crotchety old guy but he had kind of he had kind of taken over the coffee deal and Mm -hmm. it had become his thing and so that actually without maybe even him even thinking about it had kept him out of the bar because he he started experiencing this some community had some responsibility yeah and um, yeah. it's one of my favorite stories of all time, really, That's just, just uh, having to do with community. It just shows the power of, of community. And, and, you know, again, having worked on the downtown east side, I know that isolation and even, you know, even struggling with my own addictions and stuff, I know that yeah. connection is the main, th- is the main thing Absolutely. that helps. Yeah. Addictions are way that we ways that we soothe up and and there are some things that people are addicted to that we actually reward as a society like if you're addicted to (laughs) fame or money or power we'll just say well this guy or this lady is really we really admire them let's give them lots of awards but they're actually feeding an addict and and we're feeding that addiction and and yet someone can be addicted to something that's more socially unacceptable like methadone or, or, or you know a drug or, or an opioid or something and 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 we go oh well you know and we have a different mm-hmm. narrative for those people so um you know i listen i i i, I it's more nuanced than that but I, I still stand by the fact that yeah as you've already said we're all addicted pretty much all addicted to something we need to mm-hmm. keep analyzing what is at the root of that why am i you know and and i do think to be seen and connected to and loved and that's the message of the gospel, right? That we're seen mm-hmm. as we are and that God enters in and says, come to me. I, I will receive you. I've made a way to, for you to be seen as you are. And, and all I have towards you is love, a, a loving embrace that will welcome you into eternity with me. I mean, this is, this is a good news message. And, and yet, sadly, uh, the good news is not quite communicated in a way that, that sounds good. Our culture puts hooks into it. And so, and so we don't, we worry, are we not enough? You know, it's that, it's that Genesis, you know, in the Genesis narrative, you know, did God really say, are you, are mm-hmm. you sure? Is that, so it's these, <laughs> these are the things that cause us to doubt our enoughness. And, and then when we have that pain and we try to soothe it, we look for quick fixes and, and addictions, whether that be money, fame, pornography, drugs, alcohol. Yeah. We, we mm-hmm. look to find that somewhere. So yeah, I think you, if you see someone who lives with an addiction, you should see someone who's in pain and looking to try and soothe that pain and, and we should have more empathy. I also think isolation is really interesting because of COVID. I think of, again, I mentioned John Swinton earlier, but he told a little story that when COVID first hit, like many of us, he was doing his like one hour a day walk. And he just was like, every morning I'd go out for a walk and, after the fifth or sixth day of going for a walk, he every day he saw this lady, this elderly lady standing on her porch drinking a cup of tea. Uh, he lives in Aberdeen in, in Scotland. And on the fifth or sixth time, he just started talking to her and he, he said, oh, are you okay? Do you, do you, you know, need anything? Or, you know, if you've got every, everything that you need in this pandemic, in this lockdown? And she laughed and said, you know, people are complaining about lockdown, like they're disconnected from people. She said, I have never been more connected or more seen since COVID (laughs) began, because Uh now I get 10 or 12 people a day stopping and asking me what you've asked me. Are you okay? (laughs) Do you need help? Do you need anything? Uh And she said, before COVID, no one stopped and talked to me. Yeah. I live on my own. I don't see anyone. Yeah. So it was interesting. And John was sharing this story as a way it just confronted him going like, oh yeah, what does our society become when we don't even take the time to ask an elderly person who lives alone if they're okay. And it mm-hmm. takes something like a pandemic to cause us to 
to do that. So yeah, and again, I think the gospel or the church is is meant to be the remedy to social isolation. It's meant to be the community in which mm. all people come together, irrespective of background or you know cultural background or socioeconomic background, and we come and we're level and we're together, and that's meant to be the remedy for isolation. What more can people do? Like I'm thinking, and this we can close with this is like I'm thinking of people, maybe someone who's listening right now and just saying, Oh, that sounds great, but I don't feel seen or heard by others. I don't feel seen or heard by my mm-hmm. church. I don't feel mm-hmm. seen or heard by God. Maybe I just want you to take it away, preach if you want to, but yeah. <laughs> like just yeah. What what well, do you say to people that feel isolated and unseen? Well, I think if someone, if, if I, we talk about those, those four relationships, God, self, others, and creation, if, if you don't feel seen or heard by God, I would suggest, I'd recommend you read the Psalms because the human, the, you know, 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. 40% of the Psalms are people saying, God, why have you abandoned me? Where are you? This is yeah. not the plan. This is not how it's meant to be. And, and not just in a kind of pious Sunday morning way, but in a brutally raw, mm-hmm. uh, a real way. So I go, the, the, the worship book of the Bible, um, inspired by God and his spirit, I think communicates the depths and the struggles of, of uh, that, that we face as human beings. So mm-hmm. I think that's important. And very often the narratives we implicitly hear in faith communities, not because people are bad, people are doing the best they can I'm, I'm not out to bash the church at all i love the church i'm very much a part of it and committed to it but very often subtly we miscommunicate the reality that the gospel is for, the good news is for all people and even in the midst of crisis there is this narrative that god is somehow mysteriously present and faithful in the midst of that and and he better be like we can we can complain about it but if he's not what hope do we have then we have nothing um right. We have nothing for my good friend who died just last week when I was at her funeral on Thursday with her young family. And she was desperate to be here, to be there for her nine-year-old daughter. But when I was with her just before she died, praying with her, leading her soul to God, um, I have to say, God, God has to be present in that situation. He has to be. So I think we need to relook at, re-look at the narrative, relook at scripture, because I think you'll find people that can relate feeling isolated and alone so in terms of god i think maybe looking at scripture differently maybe looking some different traditions we can look to other cultures that frame scripture differently we can look to our past historically the church has framed it i think relating to others i think you know the dream for sanctuary the long-term dream is that we're going to make it much easier for people to connect with others and there are all kinds of things we're planning to do that but for now if you can get the sanctuary course and you can go to your church or your small group and say, Hey, do you want to run this? It will create a great opportunity for people, not just for yourself, but for other people, because I guarantee other people in your small group, in your church are experiencing similar things. They just, just maybe not talking about it, but it will give a great chance to talk about it and to find that those connection points and empathy. As for a relationship to self, I think, you know, self-care is often framed as a selfish, a selfish practice. And it's not, it's actually good, good stewardship of what the good gift that God has given this world, which is you. So to listen to your body, to listen to your needs and to intentionally cultivate rhythms of care for yourself is really important. And, and even if I haven't convinced you with that reason, it's actually the teachings of Jesus. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love God, love neighbor and love self. To love neighbor as self is to love self. So practicing self-care needs to be reframed as a distinctly Christian 
um, and godly vocation. And then as for creation, I would suggest get into creation and somehow get into your body in it, even if that's going for a walk by the sea in the forest. But but to notice the details and to get into creation and to get off screens is just a vital part of well-being. So there's a few little clues there. I could mm-hmm. say more, but there's a few things for people to get them started. Fantastic. Well, hopefully we've left people leaving with a, a, a desire for a little bit more. <laughs> hopefully. Promote our October 28th event again. If you want to hear Daniel's talk, you're going to talk almost specifically on this subject, right? Of, uh, yeah, I'm just going to repeat myself. And connect. <laughs> but you're going to go deeper. And then, I'll go deeper. <laughs> it'll be good. The, 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 there will be some nuggets that you haven't shared today that they will hear on the, on the 28th. So. Yeah, this is awesome. And and interestingly enough, the little church that I go to, we just did in the spring online over Zoom because we couldn't meet in our home groups. We did a thing on on uh, self-care. And uh, anyways, right. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to at least introduce them to this course. And this this would be a great fit or maybe even a good next step for us. And I hope that other people will will check it out as well. And what is the best way for people to find out more about you and find out more about uh, Sanctuary? Yeah, if people go to our website, it's sanctuarymentalhealth.org. You'll be pleased to see that all of our resources are free. They're all freely available. And there's quite a few resources on there. So there's podcasts, there's blogs, there's the Sanctuary course. There's another little four-week course we created on faith, grief, and COVID-19, exploring experiences of loss at this time. There's even a few other resources you'll find on our website, but it's all free. You can find it on our website or just Google Sanctuary Mental Health and you'll find our website. And, uh, and please spread the word, share it with others. It's, it's there and we're here to serve the church. <laughs>